When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky DeLu, the associate editor of TechSideline.com and your Virginia Tech football beat writer. We are here for another episode of the full TSL podcast. I'm here, as always, with Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. We're going to break down the Clemson game for you guys, which obviously didn't go the way that Tech fans would have wanted it to go, although there definitely are, I think, some positives to take away from that game. And then we'll go ahead and break down Boston College. And also, I want to talk about a little bit about Boston College as a whole in that program and how that program's really changed. But uh, Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Been a it's been a, an interesting week. The the kind of the letdown from the emotional Clemson game. We were so excited to watch that game, and now we're not really excited I, to watch this game, are we? I, I think uh, I think this week's gone fast, gone by faster than I thought it would. It, it definitely um, seems like it has gone by fast, but I, I feel like yeah. the the fan base, the media, we're we're not really looking I, forward to. To watching <laughs> this game against Boston College. Well, I mean, I'll, I look forward to every Tech game. You know, being a fan. I mean, there there there's some that are more exciting than others. But I mean, yeah, this is one of the least exciting ones of the season because you know, you know, think about Boston College. They're way up there. We never encounter any of their fans. Never you know, it's, recruit it's not, against them. Sure, never recruit against them. You know, it's not a normal Virginia Tech fan. You know, whether they're working in Northern Virginia, Richmond, Charlotte, Raleigh, something like that, they're going to go to work. They're going to encounter UVA grads and North North Carolina grads and Clemson grads and things like that. But there's just not that many Boston College grads, and the ones that there are don't care about their sports programs. It doesn't seem like so. It's just it really they're they're in the ACC, and before that, Virginia Tech play them every year in the Big East. But it's just, it's like they're on another planet way up there. Will, your excitement level for Boston College is compared <laughs> to Clemson. Uh, I had trouble getting to sleep last night. I was awake till about 2 in the morning. Because you were so amped, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> totally something else. And I was, uh, so I'm really tired today. I'm yawning a lot, and the topic is BC, and that's only going to make it worse. <laughs> yeah, because it's not like BC plays a, an exciting brand of football, as, as Bud Foster called it. Uh, earlier this week, uh, it was 60 minutes of middle drill, which exactly is not going to be exactly fun. Let's go ahead and move on and first touch on Clemson. Obviously, it was a 31, or 31-17 loss for Virginia Tech. Uh, that last touchdown for Tech was a garbage t- uh, score, uh, of course. Um, obviously, didn't go the way that Tech fans would have wanted. But, Chris, overall, did, did, did you feel like there was a huge gap in talent between the two teams and does that gap worry you at this point and where well where Virginia Tech is as a program I think it was a huge gap but but I mean there was certainly a gap um I mean a huge gap would be like the talent gap between you know Wake Forest and Clemson no no that that's a big talent gap or, or maybe not maybe Wake Forest is, is the wrong maybe Boston College and Clemson yeah yeah uh but you know I mean Virginia Tech's a good team I would rank them anywhere between 15th and 25th in the country uh, I don't think Clemson's as good as they were last year. I think their defense is better, but I don't think they can win a national championship with that offense. But the problem is their defense is so dominant that uh, you've got to really be experienced. You've got to have some guys at the skill positions that they can make people miss. I mean, if you look at Clemson's game plan, that they wanted Virginia Tech to be forced to run the football against their front four and complete short passes. And, and Virginia Tech completed short passes, and they tried to run the ball a lot, but you know they, they didn't have anybody that could break tackles. It's just, just Clemson the, tackled very, Clemson, very well. Clemson tackled night. very well, and you know Tech just didn't have the playmakers that could do anything in space against those guys. Well, Clemson, as well mentioned, you really wanted to try and make them rush against that that the four man defensive front. Tech only had ninety rushing yards, and it seemed like they they really didn't take a ton of shots downfield. Uh, how much did Clemson's defensive line, which we all know was extremely talented? How much did that defensive line really change the overall game and the flow of the game and, and Tech's game plan? Uh, you know, I don't I don't know that I'm enough of a football guy to, to really answer that. I just know that when I watch the game, you know, you watch, there, there are games you watch where sometimes it's the other way around. But your guy, when he gets tackled, gets tackled right there where he gets hit. 
the other team, you hit their guy and he falls forward for two or three yeah. more yards, you know, and I just had that feeling all night long. And it wasn't just about the missed tackles. The number of times that Kelly Bryant shrugged something off and, and kept running. It was just that, um, you know, I'm, I've been trying to rectify all week, all week long, you know, well, after the game anyway, I didn't feel dominated in the ACC championship game last year. Clemson got out to a big, uh, big lead in that game, what, 14 nothing or something like that. And, and, and things were looking grim until Tech did that fake punt. But, but I, I kind of felt like Tech was right in it. Once they got going, they were right in it. And I never felt that way Saturday. And I think that was part of it was just kind of being suffocated on offense and um, just having trouble with them physically. I, I want to add something there. Yep. Uh, I want to go back. I realize a lot of people listening to this podcast might not go back this far, but go back to the 93 season. When Tech, st- I wasn't even born you yet. Even just for born. a point of reference, there you go. <laughs> Second game of the season, Virginia Tech beats Pittsburgh sixty-three twenty-one, set a school record for total offense. The next week, they come home and play Miami in a big home game, and I think they lost what twenty-one to two. Yes, they I were. Can, com- I can look it up while we're talking. Yeah, they, they were. They were competitive against Miami, but but you could tell that they were a couple of recruiting classes away from being able to play with a team like that. And they had a great year. They went 9-3 and three that year. But but they were a couple of recruiting classes away, and they're a couple of recruiting classes away right now. And guess what? Two years later, they beat Miami, went on to win the Sugar Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you know right now we're behind Clemson, but, but you can see the light of the tunnel a little bit. Here's, and the good thing about playing that game is we know exactly what we have to do to, to catch Clemson. We've got we've got to get better players. I mean that, that that's just obvious. We've got some good players on that team, but not enough of them. You, you got to channel your inner Spike Lee and say mo better players. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that game was twenty one to two in nineteen ninety three, and it was actually at Miami. It was at Miami. Uh, okay. Tech played at Miami two years in a row, I guess. Okay. While, while the Big East was being right. busy sorting things right. out. The, the the thing that I saw, I'm not sure if it was on social media or on our message boards, that really stuck with me was that. It was clear that Clemson had talent and depth at just about every position, and Virginia Tech has talent and depth at some positions. Correct. That's and that, and, and to me, that felt like what it was because it felt like that, like you mentioned, Chris, Tech just did not have the talent level to make plays mm-hmm. when they needed to, whether it was offense or defense. I mean, they had Kelly Bryant dead to rights a couple times, and he was just spinning and, and juking guys and making guys miss. and. And he was turning two-yard losses into four-yard gains. Probably the one play that nobody's talking about is it was 10 nothing Clemson, and it was first and 20. They had the ball on their own 10-yard line. For, scrambled for 18 yards. Virginia Tech stopped the original play call. Then he scrambled, broke a – slipped a couple tackles. He didn't break the tackles. He just kind of slipped them. Yeah. Um, it was tough to get a hand on him. And he scrambled for 18 yards. Clemson didn't score on the drive, but they were able to punt from near midfield and pin Virginia Tech at their own seven-yard line. Virginia Tech had a chance to flip field position. They had Clemson in a long yardage situation. In, you know, right backed up against the north end zone. They could have gotten the ball back at midfield, uh, but instead, they weren't able to yeah. flip the field like that. Yeah, I mean, and, and against a team like Clemson, you have to do you those have things. You have to take advantage of those. You though. really have to, you know, take advantage of having maybe a good field position. Yeah, it's one of those games where you're, you're waiting for somebody to just make a play. And, and nobody I, did. I, and nobody did until I think Greg Stroman, you know, picked picked up that uh, punt and returned it down and then about of course, the two yard line. And then of course, right at the in the, the beginning of the third quarter, Tech has good field position. They have the Trayvon McMillan fumble. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel like that was kind of the point where you knew that it wasn't like Tech was going to make a run in the second half. I felt like at, after that fumble by McMillan, it just kind of felt like the game was just kind of over at that point. You know, I sitting in the crowd, you know, obviously Clemson outplayed Tech the first couple possessions of the game. But for the rest of the first half, I thought it was pretty even for the most part. And I'm sitting there thinking at that, at that point on the first drive, okay, if we can go down and get a score here, we're right in the game. You know, this is typical Virginia Tech. We started slow, but we started to move the ball later in the in the second quarter. Uh, and I'm like, we're a second half team. Uh, but then we then the Hokies fumbled, and that kind of deflated me to a certain extent right there. And Tech did continue to move the ball in the second half, but they ju- they just couldn't couldn't finish drives, whether it was because of turnovers or just not picking up fourth downs, whatever. Definitely. Well, let's go ahead and move on from Clemson. We can go ahead and put a bow on that one. I know Tech fans probably would like to put a bow on that one as well. I want to move on to Boston College, and one of the things I want to talk about this week is the fact that, you know, just not not too long ago, maybe about 10 years ago, Boston College was almost playing for a national championship. They had Matt Ryan. They beat Tech inside Lane Stadium in that 
kind of ugly game where where Matt Ryan won it late. Yep. Um, you know, Boston College was a really really respectable program, but when you look at how far the program has fallen since then, they haven't won eight games since two thousand. Uh, I believe it was uh, seven, or excuse me, two thousand nine. They haven't won ten games in a year since two thousand seven. Um, and you know, it, it's, Steve Adazio has been there. He's in his fifth season now, and he's twenty six and thirty. So it's not like they're having any or a lot of success. Chris, just just kind of give us a little bit of historical context. How good of a program was Boston College in the in the '90s and even the 2000s? Oh, they they were a very good program. Um, I think if you go back to when Tom O'Brien was their coach, before that it was Dan Henning, who was a NFL head coach, and before that it was uh, the former Giants head coach. Uh, what's his name? Right? Tom, Tom, Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin. Yeah. Uh, so they had a lot of big time coaches there, and but but that dropped off, uh, and nobody they've hired has been able to recruit you know between 1999 and i think 2012 they had 10 first round picks which i'm sure is more first round picks than virginia tech has had in their yeah most history. likely yeah uh so boston college has had some good players but it's tough to recruit up there these days and i and i think part of it is now that recruiting has gotten national everybody's recruiting national if there is a good player from massachusetts then boston college isn't the only team to know about him anymore penn state knows about him uh, ohio state knows about him uh you know, you know, it's so I, I think Boston College is recruiting from a smaller pool of players these days uh, because I think I think all the big schools are napping up some of those good players that Boston College used to get. Uh, I think cost of attendance hurts Boston College. Uh, I, I think their cost of attendance is only about fifteen hundred dollars a year, and, which is less than Virginia Tech. Uh, yeah, it's about two thousand dollars a year. And, less and than Boston Virginia College Tech. is is not far from the actual downtown Boston. Exactly. Uh, you know, so which another reason, in my opinion, that the way they calculated those cost of attendance things, the way they went about that, they did it. You know, you know they they uh, they did it too fast. They did it too fast to satisfy public opinion without yeah. without without figuring out the right way to do it. So a school like Boston College is paying kids $1,500 a year, and Alabama's paying, what, like $7,000? And yeah, you, can't tell, you can't tell me it's more expensive to live in Tuscaloosa than it is in Boston <laughs> College. You know, So it's a problem for Virginia Tech recruiting against Florida State because over the course of four or five years, a guy at Florida State can make eleven or 12000 more than he can at Virginia Tech. It's really a problem for a school like Boston College that they have no chance when it comes to that, and that that's a lot of money. Will, when did you first really notice that Boston College was kind of slipping as a program? You know, it's probably <clears throat> good question. It's probably the uh, 2010 game. I was uh, I was on vacation down in uh, Disney World because our kids were of a certain age. It was perfect, so you know yeah. we took that week and and Tech played at Boston College. And won, I believe, nineteen to nothing that day. And uh, I didn't see the game until I got back home, but it was ugly, boring. You know, Virginia Tech played a lot of games like that back then, even though they had a ton of talent yeah. on offense. You know, and and uh, so that that's kind of the the date that I go back to. I don't remember what happened in uh, two thousand nine. You know, but uh, there was there was a time period without having everything in my head where. You know, Virginia Tech won from 96 through 2002. They won every single game. And then these teams started to go back and forth. And they played in two ACC championship games, I guess, in 07 and 08, right? Yep. And then in 2009, Tech went up there and didn't play all that great and won easily. And it's just kind of not looked good for Boston College since then. And that, that doesn't mean you know, they, they've beaten Tech a couple times. They beat them, I think, the last two games of, of Frank's tenure. Yeah. But that was more a reflection on, you know, Virginia Tech's program than Boston College's program. If Tech had won those two games, they'd have a nine-game winning streak over BC right now. Uh, I, I guess the last game of 2008 through, you know, uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's – it's looking pretty beat for BC, and, and I think more so than that, it was a couple of games where, man, I wish I could remember what year it is, but they came in a lane stadium one year, and, and their quarterbacking was just atrocious. Oh, I don't remember what year it was. It may have been 2010, uh, 2011 or something like that, but I just haven't seen a good Boston College team in a while. I've seen a good player here or there, but not a good team, not one that, that I was afraid of. I, I want to throw add something to that as far as recruiting goes. You know how the recruiting calendar has gotten pushed I was just so going to hit on this. this yeah. is, is, Syracuse is having the same problem. Dino Babers has said this to the media. 
you know, you've got to get guys committed these days uh, by June, July, August, or, or, or you're not going to get them committed. But the problem is, you can't. They can't take official visits till their senior season starts. Uh, so they've got to visit Boston on their own dime. There's not, there's not enough recruits up there to fill to make Boston College a good program. They, they they need to pull some kids out of Florida and and things like that. Well, guess what? Florida kids aren't going to visit Boston unofficially because that costs a lot of money. I feel like it's the other way around where the northern kids tend to roll down through the southern mm-hmm. states on some visits. You know, yeah. they, they throw the family in the van or whatever. Right. Well, you, if you do that over summer, uh, you can visit six schools in a week because plenty of those southern schools are within driving distance mm-hmm. of each other. You can't really do that in the northeast where there's just not that many programs. Uh, so if you wanted to, get, if you're a Florida kid, you could go take a visit to UConn and Boston College in a weekend, I guess if you if, if you wanted to, but nobody's going to do that. So you know maybe these new recruiting rules will help Boston College with the recruiting some, where you can start taking official visits in the summer. Uh, maybe that will help their recruiting to a certain extent. But yeah, I I definitely think that that that's a big part of that, and I think that's a big part of why Syracuse has fallen off too. I think one of the other reasons too is the fact that you've seen. Uh, Rutgers go into the Big Ten, and I think that that's really given the Big Ten a good footprint in that mid-Atlantic, mm-hmm. New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. And if you go through all of these recruits and, and the recruiting rankings, most of the good prospects from the Northeast are not really in the Northeast. They're in that mid-Atlantic, Pennsylvania, yeah. Philly, New Jersey area. And you know that that's easy for Ohio State to recruit. They recruit that area a ton. And I, I, I agree that the fact that you can't get kids to take unofficial visits to Boston College, and the fact that you're not able to get out of the rut that you're in right now with the players you have, it's just kind of a you know a double whammy. I'm not sure you can even really point to one thing. I think everything we're saying here is true. It's just, um, yeah, it just it, seems it's, like it's a collection of issues. You know, back back in the '90s, Big East football was a thing. You know, Boston College was good, Syracuse was good mm-hmm. with Donovan McNabb. It had some sex appeal to it. It had it had some glamour to it. And it doesn't now. All the focus is down south on the SEC, you know, on the and, – and you're talking about two schools that have gone and joined the Atlantic Coast Conference, which is, you know, wholly comprised of teams below the Mason-Dixon line. BC yeah. used to – or excuse me, the Big East used to have that big 330 television contract yeah. on CBS that, that, that the SEC has now. So it used to be Virginia Tech, Boston College at 330, or Boston College versus Syracuse at three thirty. I mean, the Big East got a lot of exposure back then, and they, they, they you know, they don't get that exposure necessarily now as Boston College. If you are Boston College, you have Steve Adazio, who, like I said, is in his he's in his the middle of his fifth year. He's still not up to five hundred yet. They're two and three this season. They haven't won a game against a Power Five team plus Notre Dame. Uh, Will, I mean, at this point, what needs to change for Boston College in terms of the program structure, coaching, and all those sorts of things? You know, before you even ask the question, I was sitting here thinking to myself, I don't know what the answer is. If if I'm them, I don't know. What advantages do you press? You know, when you look at Virginia Tech's program, uh, you can figure out the advantages you want to press. You know, um, uh, being in the Coastal Division, having a good pathway to the ACC championship game, uh, great fan base, you know, good facilities. I, you know, if you're Boston College, what do you sell yourself on? You know, I think Boston College ceiling these days is eight and four. I mean, they have to play Florida State, Clemson, Louisville, and Virginia Tech every single year. They have kind of the same problem that NC State has, who's also in that right. division. Is that it's just that their crossover happens to be North Carolina, right? North Carolina, who at least yeah. recently has been pretty competitive. And, and, and NC State is at least in a position where they can recruit. Fairly well. Yeah, but Boston uh, College right. is not in that position. Right, right. So Boston College, let's say they lose those four games I just mentioned, uh, as they would, will, and do most years, then to win eight games, they have to win one out. They have to win 100% of their other games, and it's really hard to go through a whole season without getting upset, you know, at least yeah. once. So I just think they're they're in a lot of trouble. Uh, I, I think it would take a whole lot to get that program back to what it once was, and uh, I, I don't – any coach good enough to do it is not going to be there long enough to do it. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Uh, they don't have a lot of money. They don't sell many tickets. I was looking at their attendance, and since in 2012 they averaged 37,000 fans a game. That's uh, not much. Uh, Alumni Stadium holds 44,500. But since 2012, every year from 2013 through 2016, they've averaged between 30 and 34,000 fans a game. And that's probably being generous. You watch Boston College games these days, and there's a lot of empty seats there, you know. And uh, so they don't have a lot of money. They do have something ridiculous like 28 or 29 varsity sports. 
Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I remember doing that uh, research last year when I was doing kind of the comparison for the rest of the ACC is that Boston College has, I believe, four or five sports that are sponsored outside of the ACC. And it would, that would, or I believe it would be fencing and something along those lines. I think they draw higher attendance for their ice hockey games than their than their basketball games. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, no, and, that, and, I no, that's, that's a good program state. that has good support. Of course, you're right. It is, but the thing is, you know, we t- Boston College is like the anti Florida State and Clemson. We've talked about the fact that Florida State and Clemson have an advantage over Tech because they have a few fewer sports and a little bit more money than Virginia Tech, so they have more money. And fewer sports. So there's more money that can go into the football program. Yeah. Well, Boston College is a direct opposite. They have less money and a lot more sports than Virginia Tech. Yeah. So they have to spread that money out amongst a lot more sports. And it just it's just not conducive to running a competitive football program these days when the cost of everything just seems to be going through the roof. It seems like for Boston College, the best thing that could happen to them would be to have some sort of uh, conference divisional realignment where there may, maybe they can or scheduling changes to where they don't have to play Clemson or Florida State every year because it certainly seems like mm-hmm. the Seminoles and the Tigers are here to stay. Well, one of the things people talk about is a pod arrangement where you get the ACC yeah. up to 16 teams and there's there's four pods of four. And in that case, Boston College might wind up in a pod with Syracuse and Pitt and maybe Louisville, something like that, you know. And, and so they'd be playing those, those three teams year in, year out. It, it would give them – you know, I guess they do play Syracuse every year, but I don't know. It might give them more of a Northeast presence. I don't know. We're kind of grabbing at straws here. Again, I don't know what the answer for them is. Yeah, it seems that they definitely have a lot of problems to address. Let's go ahead and move on from that because I think we've kind of fleshed that out enough. I do want to talk about Boston College's offensive coordinator, who is happens to be Scott Leffler, who was here from 2013 to 2015. He's probably I, I, Where does he fit on maybe the most hated – Virginia Tech assistant coaches list because I feel like the fan base is generally does not have a positive view of well, Scott. Well, Tech fan base hated every single offensive coordinator under Frank. Beamer. That's very true. So you know, I just think that's something about the way we <laughs> ran the offense. Yeah. It didn't matter who the offensive coordinator was; they weren't going to succeed in 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 Virginia Tech program at that time. I think Scott Leffler is a mediocre offensive coordinator. I think he's a good quarterbacks coach. I think he's an excellent recruiter. A lot of the uh, he recruited Cam Phillips. You know, he he recruited Josh Jackson. Uh, he also recruited Dwayne Lawson. He did recruit Dwayne Lawson. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, you he know, loved him some Dwayne Lawson. He loved yeah, he did. until Dwayne got uh, well, on campus. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, man. I think the ball streak would be over if he hadn't gone down to Texas and recruited Michael Brewer. Yeah, uh, it probably I mean, would have yeah. because Brennan Motley would have been your starting quarterback I, all year. Right, right. And so since we're talking about guys he's recruited, I watched Andrew Ford play uh, for UMass a couple of weeks ago. They were on ESPN or ESPNU or something like that. And, you know, Ford's not a bad quarterback. Not, U, no. UMass is bad, but, uh, you know, Ford didn't pan out here. That doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. Right, right. I mean, he it wouldn't have worked out for him great here with yeah. the lack of a running game and, and, and things like that at the time. It would have made him look worse than he actually is. You know, is. he made some nice throws. Yeah. And... He's a good natural quarterback. He knows where to go with the football and yeah. things like that. And Leffer was always pretty good at recognizing guys like that. I mean, Josh Jackson's the perfect example. And the, the crazy thing is, you know, uh, the Boston College quarterback, uh, Brown, what's his first name? Anthony, Anthony, Anthony. Brown. Virginia Tech, uh, they were in the summer of early summer of 2015. They were recruiting two quarterbacks, Josh Jackson and Anthony Brown, and I think Leffler liked Josh Jackson a little bit more than he did Brown, and so he did a really good job in getting uh, Josh Jackson to commit to Virginia Tech. And, and Anthony Brown, of course, ends up going and, to Boston and College. Anthony Brown ends up going to Boston College, and Leffler ends up coaching Anthony Brown instead of instead of Josh Jackson. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you again. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of love how that works. Um, so, so here, here's the thing about Scott Leffler, though, and, and and Chris was the one to educate me on this probably a couple of years ago. Um, Scott Leffler, you know, Chris says he's a mediocre offensive coordinator. I'd like to see him coordinate an offense in the NFL because he runs a pro style offense that's right. a little complicated for kids to pick up. Um, you know, in college, you can, you can get your offense up and running faster if it's not that complex, if you don't have the passing trees and all that sort of thing. Um, I, I, I think Scott may just be coaching in, in the wrong class of football. I'd like to see him in the pros. I think he knows a lot of football. You know, yeah, Bud, Bud Foster had some comments yesterday about how much respect he has for Leffler. And I think anybody who sits and talks to Scott Leffler knows that he knows a lot of football. But you gotta you got to scheme it simply enough. And you got to be able to um, 
work with kids who have a maximum of 20 hours a week to practice and, and study film and all that, you know, per NCAA rules. That doesn't yeah. mean that. Uh, I just think he's kind of a square peg in a round hole. You know, I, I've always said that I felt like Scott's best role would be a quarterback's coach in the NFL. I feel like he would really mesh well with that role. But I do think that Tech fans are don't give Scott enough credit for what he did here just for the fact that if you look at yards per game and points per game, those increased every single season that he was here. I mean, by the end by the end that he left in 2015, Tech was averaging 31 points a game. Yeah. Now, granted, it may not have been consistent production, but overall, I mean, the offense wasn't bad like it, it used to be. It was better. And, you know, think about it. Think Scott also brought a professionalism from a recruiting standpoint to the staff that wasn't there before. You know, like uh, some of those coaches got replaced, you know, like, uh, you know, Kevin Sherman was a very mediocre recruiter. Michael Kane didn't even try to recruit Kurt Newsom <laughs> towards the end of his career. Was not welcome in the seven five seven with, with for a lot of those guys, and, and Leffler brought a professionalism in along with Aaron Moorhead and uh, and Jeff Grimes. The Texas offensive recruiting got a lot better as soon as those guys got here. We're actually reaping the benefits of it now. Scott yeah, never got to yeah. reap the benefits of his own recruiting prowess at Virginia Tech. Uh, and we sit here talk about Virginia Tech's talent needs to get better, and it does. It's about five times as good as it was in 2013 <laughs> when Leffler first took over. I mean, there's there's some of those receivers that Tech had back then, some of those offensive linemen, they had no business playing for a Power 5 conference team. Uh, there's some things about Scott, though, that hold him back. I think he works too hard. He's one of those guys who will tell you, who will sleep on his couch in his office until 2 Six o'clock in the morning. Week, yeah. Yeah, and I, don't, I think that's ridiculous. I think, that's how you, I think you overthink things like that. I, th- I think you fatigue yourself and you can't think properly. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story about Leffler, a personal story. He's gone, so I can tell this story now. Uh, I was going into 7-Eleven after the Virginia Tech-NC State game in 2015. Uh, you know, I was going to get a water, just wait for the traffic to clear out so I could go home. And there's Leffler in line. And, uh, you know, give each other a little fist pump or whatever. I was like, congratulations, good win. And he, and instead of saying thank you, he goes, we had a much better game plan last week against Pittsburgh. We just didn't execute. He's still obsessed with the previous week's loss to Pittsburgh. And uh, instead of, you know, being able to celebrate the game that they just won. So not surprising. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and you could tell he walked there from the office because he goes in there, tries to buy whatever he's going to buy, and then just leaves. And, soon as, and I go out right behind him, and, you know, he's just walking back towards towards. He's going back to his office. Yeah, you know, he's going back to the office where he's going to stay awake until three a.m. and break down film. And I just think that's kind of an unhealthy lifestyle to to, to lead. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that. I mean, that's what Buzz Williams does after after men's basketball games. I mean, especially if they're at night, he you know, he doesn't go home with the family after the game. He heads back to the office, and who knows when he leaves. But you know, I I feel like one of the biggest things that 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 Scott struggled with at Virginia Tech, and Will, you hit on this was the fact that he he wasn't able to adapt his schemes to the kind of the college, you know, setting and, and, and being able to make it work for college players. Because like you mentioned, he's running a pro-style scheme, and, you know, I, I don't feel like that's just conducive at the at the college level. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot you can add to that. Um, and, and you see it everywhere. He knows a lot of football, and he's a good quarterback's coach, but everywhere he goes, the offense is not good. Mm-hmm. I think it can succeed depending on the right – if you recruit the t- right type of player. I mean, there's a reason when he first got here, he immediately went out and recruited Cam Phillips and Isaiah Ford. Really smart private school kids who could who could absorb the full playbook, yeah, even as they, true freshmen from a yeah, pro style offense. Yeah, they played as true freshmen. Right, you can't go out uh, to – the inner city from a high school that doesn't have the greatest academic reputa- reputation and recruit a high school quarterback and immediately plug him in as a wide receiver <laughs> in a pro-style offense like that at the college level. That's just not going to work. So, you know, I, I, I think it all depends on the type of players you recruit. And I, and I think uh, he was moving in that direction, but he's never been in a place long enough where he's been able to build an offense over the course of four or five years. I mean, he was at Auburn for one year. And another story he told the media off the record one night is he goes down to Auburn and sees his first practice of the spring and goes home and tells his wife, don't fall in love with the place because we're only going to be here for one year. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he could tell that he had no quarterback as soon as he oh, got there. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, so uh, he's just got to be at a place where he can recruit his own type of player over the course of 
of Four three or five to, years. Yeah, ex- exactly. And but th- these days in college football, you're not going to get that opportunity. It's a it's an instant gratification industry, and, and just really as a, as a society as a whole. And you're right; you have to be able to win, and you at least show you know significant signs of improvement in your first two to three seasons, or else you know you're already on the hot seat. Right, and you know maybe Boston College is a good fit for him from that standpoint because Adazio. Who knows if he's on the hot seat or not? It's hard to say. I mean, Boston College fans, you know, they're not exactly... Have to have a realistic ceiling there. Yeah, exactly. So maybe he will get that opportunity at Boston College. And, and maybe you know, Boston College, you can recruit those private school kids, you know, that, that have a really, really high IQ, and you can plug them into an offense that might be a little more difficult to execute. Honestly, another good fit for him would be UVA. Where there's absolutely no expectations for your football program, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and, and, oh, and man. well, seriously, and you can recruit that type of guy, like really smart guys who would be more likely to execute a pro style offense like that, where where there's you ask so much from your players. But uh, I think he needs four or five years to fill his offense with the type of players that can see, su- uh, succeed in his scheme. That's the problem with with pro style offenses at the college levels that you really have to have a bunch of older guys, guys who are mature and guys who have experience in football because it's just not reasonable to expect a high school player to be able to come out uh, straight out of his senior year and then be able to to handle pro concepts. But I think think it is funny that you mentioned UVA, and logically speaking, it seems like it actually would be a good choice. Uh, Let's go ahead and move on to this week on Saturday, which I believe the game is at 7.15, is that right? Correct. 17 yeah. at BC on ESPN2. ESPN2, so do not come on the board and ask, <laughs> is the game on TV? It's on ESPN2. And it's a primetime game, so you can't This miss it. game had Nooner written all over it. Oh, man. I thought it did. I, yeah, I was shocked. I'm, su- I'm surprised they're not showing you know Auburn and Samford or something like that on ESPNU like like they always do. But, hey, it's more, more primetime prime time exposure for Virginia Tech. Uh, I, I do want to move on to this game, though. And, but before we you know dig deep into Boston College, uh, how worried are you guys that there might be a bit of an emotional letdown after this game? There was massive pomp and circumstance surrounding the Clemson game. Uh, there was a, a ton of hype around it. The players were really riding high and feeling confident. And then to kind of fall flat like they did, Will, are you worried that that might be kind of a problem, especially in front of a Boston College crowd, which, as you mentioned, the stadium might be half empty? Yeah, um, I, I always, when, whenever we talk about stuff like this, I always think about a, a realization I had one time playing in the Big East against Clemson all those, excuse me, uh, Temple all those years ago. Um, you'd go up to Temple to play in Veterans Stadium, and there would literally be eight to 10,000 fans there. If that. The, the place is essentially empty. And I thought to myself, that must feel those football players like it's a scrimmage, like it doesn't really matter who wins and loses. Yeah. So you're always kind of worried about that. Um, I think we'll have to see how things unfold Saturday night, but I think it's probably a good thing that it's a night game. Somebody on our message board raised a really good point. They said, our guys are going to get up in the morning and they're going to watch a little college football, you know, and nothing gets you ready to play a sport like watching other people play it. <laughs> and and I don't know, as a football player, I'd, I'd kind of like to play in the dark, you know, in a night game. That, yeah. that That's kind of cool. So hopefully these things will help overcome uh, what may or may not be a very vocal crowd. Now, now the flip side of it is if this was a nooner at Boston College, there would be nobody in the stands at noon. <laughs> nobody. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Boston College fans that are inclined to go to the game – We'll get there early, do a little tailgate, and actually get in before kickoff, and maybe be a little liquored up, and make some when, noise. I don't know. They got to rest up for the Red Sox. Game I was the just going to say, well, what that, are the I Red mean, Sox doing? When do the when do the, the Sox and the Astros play? They play on first. Sunday at some point. I don't. I don't know if that's a. I know that they they start that series in Houston, mm-hmm. but I know that they play Sunday in Boston. They so do. I always forget that's a factor. And, and what are the Patriots doing? Uh, that actually. They play this Thursday night. Okay. okay. All right. That's yeah. not an issue. They play the Houston Texans, I believe, this Thursday. So, yeah. The, but, the, I mean, definitely Red Sox playoffs. <laughs> Boston is not going to be worried about the Boston College Eagles. They're going to be worried about the Red Sox. Well the, the good, well, the good thing for Boston College, I guess, and maybe for Virginia Tech, is that, you know, it's not a Saturday night Red Sox game in Boston that will, you know, suck away some of those fans uh, from the Boston College game. Um, so, the game isn't being played that day. Um, but, but it is being played – in, in between games, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we'll see. I, I don't know. It's not going to be a full house. I, I do think the night atmosphere will will help 
Virginia Tech more more than a noon atmosphere would, obviously. But to me, it's I just don't think Boston College is good enough. I just look at I don't see enough difference makers on their team. I see one difference maker, and that's a defensive end. And if you're one defensive maker, uh, uh, one playmaker on your entire team is a defensive end who never gets to touch the football. You know, that's just what kind of a defensive, uh, what kind of difference maker is he really? You are answering my next question, so go ahead and keep on talking oh, okay, about Harold okay. Landry. <laughs> yeah, Harold Landry's a really good player. You know, they can line him up anywhere, 6'3, 250 pounds. Kind of your prototypical NFL tweener. Is he going to be a defensive yeah. end? Is he going to be an outside linebacker? Speed rusher. Right. It depends on the scheme. Uh, you know, he could go, he'll go in the first few rounds of the NFL draft. Uh, Four star kid out of North Carolina that Virginia Tech didn't, didn't really recruit, it doesn't seem like. Uh, or the North Carolina schools for that matter. But uh, he's one of those guys it's difficult to prepare for, but at the same time, he's really their only guy uh, that you have to prepare for. They're their best linebackers out this, for the season with a torn ACL. So, And you don't have to worry about Boston College scoring on you, really, because their offense is so terrible. So if you're Virginia Tech's offense, you know, you, you, you can afford to take a breath. You know, it's not like you're playing Clemson. You know, you you can sit back, relax, figure out what Boston College is doing, figure out their alignments, and slowly, steadily pull away over the course of four quarters without worrying about dry, getting down seventeen zip or something like that. Uh, Justin Fuente was talking, and and Vance Vice as well. They were talking about how so far this year teams are trying to cover Harold Landry with a tight end to try and help that you know help the tackle. But when you've got a guy that's so versatile and can move around, can line up it you know, different linebacker positions or, or, you know, even, you know, come down to the line, you know, it can make it tough to, to, to really scheme for that because you don't know where to put that extra blocker. Yeah, it can. And Tech, he wasn't a factor in the Tech game last year. He had four unassisted tackles, yeah. no tackles for loss, no sacks, no quarterback hurries. Did, did you mean four assisted tackles? Yes, he had four assisted, assisted tackles. tackles. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes, yes. So he didn't make a solo tackle that whole game. So he wasn't. He just wasn't a factor against the Hokies last year, at least from a box score perspective. Uh, the bigger concern for me is out of, Virginia Tech only returns one player who carried the ball against Boston College last year, and that's Trayvon McMillan. And that was a game where Virginia Tech rushed for uh, 223 yards, averaged 4.5 yards a carry. But McMillan only averaged three yards a carry in that game. It was Marshawn Williams. Gerard Evans and Brendan Motley did the, they did the most damage on the ground, and, and they're all gone. So I, 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 you would like to see Virginia Tech be balanced in this game because that was one of the big things that they were able to do last year against Boston College. Well, what do you make of Virginia Tech's running back situation right now? I mean, Trayvon McMillan had the fumble. I'm not, I can't remember who the running back was that missed the block that Justin Fuente was referring to uh, earlier in the week. Uh, it, it just and Stephen Peoples, we're we're not really sure what his health status is. He missed the Clemson game with some sort of foot injury. Um, I mean, w- w- really, what are you seeing from this running back position right now? I wrote in uh, Monday's column this week that, that I wonder if you got a chicken and egg situation going on here, where um, you know it's Justin's always saying running back by committee um, and spreading the carries around. But I just don't see anybody who is is something approaching an elite back, a guy who can break tackles, make people miss. It seems um, like everybody has that one or a couple runs where they look good, and then the rest of the game they're kind of just meh. Yeah, like an example is Deshaun McLeese against West Virginia. His touchdown run was an outstanding run, but but he's not going to tee that up every time you hand him the ball. Um, if they had a guy like that, if they had a, a – I don't want to use the word elite because that implies five star. Just, just a you know maybe a guy like a Ryan Williams guy or something like that who, who could really pick up the extra yards. You know, a turn a turn a one yard gain on a three yard gain, that kind of thing. Would he get? Uh, would that guy get more of the carries? Would he get more of the playing time? I just I, I'm not seeing guys that can break tackles um, consistently and just do exceptional things consistently. And and I don't like to talk like that, you know, because these guys all work hard and. And uh, but I'm just not seeing a a wow guy out there. Um, so well, the, I, I agree with you. But is that what we expected? I mean, that's what I expected coming into the season. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of course. But it, it does it still mean? I mean, it's still a problem. It's still yeah, right. Yeah, it's still a problem. I, well, I don't know. I don't know that it's a problem. Um, I mean, Virginia Tech is averaging 200 yards a game on the ground, right? So I don't know if I consider it a problem. It's a problem when. You're playing Clemson, and 
you need elite players to beat Clemson. I don't know it's, that it's a problem against anybody else on the schedule. Maybe even but, Miami. Well, because well, Clemson has the same problem. Clemson doesn't have an elite running back. <laughs> they're they're like you said in the office. Uh, yeah, but they've got Kelly Bryant. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, right. They've got a running back as their quarterback, but. But, you know, last year, even with Wayne Gallman, I don't think he rushed for 1,000 yards last year. But but is ATN or ETN, however you pronounce it, is he an elite running back? I, he certainly didn't look elite against Virginia Tech, right, right. but he was averaging 12 yards carry coming and, in. And that's a small sample size, a yeah. really small sample size. Uh, I, I mean, if you look at sample size, Coleman Fox is Virginia Tech's best running back. <laughs> he's, uh, I mean, is, is back. he? No, I'm not, you, I'm not saying – I'm not saying that to disparage Coleman Fox because I actually think he should get more carries because what he's been doing so far is whenever he gets the ball on the edge, he makes somebody miss with his first step. He looks like he's got good vision. You know, he's not the biggest guy in the world or good, anything good like that. balance, runs behind his pads, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, and I'm not screaming for him to be the starting uh, running back. I don't back, know. I'd like to see but, it. But I would, start, I, him, start him and give him the ball five times and see what happens. Sure, sure. Maybe so. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he looks like he's earned that opportunity from what I've seen in games. I don't get to see practice every day. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I, I think if – I don't – and I think this is the same for most teams. I mean, how many teams do have an elite running back? Or you're elite because you're one of the few, right? Uh, you know, I can only name you just a few running backs around college football right now. Uh, you know, you got the guy at San Diego State, you got the Penn State guy, and after that... Bryce Love at Stanford. Bri- Bryce Love at Stanford, right, right. Um, so Saquon Barkley at so Penn I, State. I think these days, I mean, this is this is kind of par for the course for most teams. that They don't have an elite, they don't have an elite running back, um, and, and most teams' offenses aren't really aren't really designed to have an elite running back these days. Uh, now, I think if Virginia Tech gets Devin Ford in the 2019 class, then, you know, we're going to see some strategies things. As, yeah, then we'll as, find some, out. Some strategy yeah. changes as far as how Virginia Tech uses running backs most likely. I feel like Justin Fuente would sacrifice some pure talent at the running back position if he had someone who was just reliable. And I think he did that in 2016 with Sam Rogers. Obviously, mm-hmm. Sam was not the most gifted ball carrier but you knew that Sam was going to run the right plays. You knew he was going to pick up his blocks. And right now, I just don't think they have that outside of Stephen Peoples. And we saw how big of a role Stephen Peoples plays on this team against Clemson. Yeah, um, I think you can't discount what Stephen Peoples was able to do. I mean, he played a lot of fullback or H-back last year, and now they got him in a traditional tailback role. He's caught more passes this year. He's definitely improved that part of his game. Uh, so he's a he's a valuable performer out there, and and I think he hasn't fumbled yet in, in his career, as far as I can remember. And, and you know, the thing about when when Trayvon fumbles, man, it always seems like it's at a critical time. Oh, it doesn't it? <laughs> it always seems like it. I mean, he's not a guy key, that fumbles a lot. A key but, juncture but, in the game. Sure, but it seems like when he does, it's it's the fifty yard line against Clemson or or, or in a Tennessee game when, when you really need him. It's just uh, unfortunate timing. One of the other things I want to hit on about Boston College is, statistically speaking, in terms of pass defense and passing efficiency defense, Boston College is one of the best pass defenses in the country. You look at the rankings, they're in the top 10, in, I believe, in pass defense efficiency. I think they're 12th in pass yards allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, how important is it for, A, Josh Jackson to take care of the football against this pass defense, but B, to have a running game that can bail them out? Yeah, I think it's certainly important. People have been able to run the ball on Boston College this year. Quarterbacks have been able to run the ball on Boston College this year. The kid from Notre Dame had over 200 yards, and then Kelly Bryant had over 100 yards. So expect to see some Virginia Tech power runs this week and some read option. Uh, Historically, Boston College, whoever their coach has been, played a lot of umbrella schemes defensively with with a couple of deep safeties, and they'll they'll play man coverage underneath. Uh, That's always been done because Virginia – or excuse me, Boston College generally does not match up from a talent perspective, like their defensive backs are normally not as talented as the group of wide receivers they face. Yeah. And that that goes back to the 1990s from their the, from just their built-in recruiting disadvantages up there. But they've been able to make up for it by scheme. And that's certainly, that certainly hurt them against Virginia Tech in the past. Uh, or excuse me, it's hurt Virginia Tech against them in the past. But last year, Virginia Tech beat Boston College 49 to nothing because they were able to be balanced offensively. They were able to rush for 223 yards in that game, which obviously opened up the passing game. So And they made Scott Leffler's offense look pretty bad. <laughs> they made it look pretty bad. Um, and they've got to do the same thing uh, this time around. They've got to be balanced if they want to you know, have a big offensive performance against BC. 
Let's go ahead and move on to the over-under section. And, you know, I know I picked the game wrong last week. I actually picked Virginia Tech to win, and I'm surprised you guys did not revoke my game-picking privileges from this point on. But I was 2-0 and in the over-unders last week. There you go. I was closest to predicting the score. I picked 27-13. So, I'm actually tied with Chris now in the over-unders. We're both at 3-3. Three and three. Will, you're still at 4-2, and two, so you still have a, 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 a little so, small so what's, lead. So what's the recap from last week? Okay, so we had the first over-under was 3.5 sacks for Clemson. Uh, they had two. Wow. So Will, and, Will and, and Chris both had the over, and I had the under. Man, I went over on that. Yeah, I thought yeah. they would pile up some late. Yeah, anyway, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I had, I had the under on that. And then we had over-under 80 rushing yards for Kelly Bryant. Will and I had the over on that. Chris had the under. That was stupid of me. <laughs> because I sat here and drilled into people's heads all week. They're going to run the ball 15 to 20 times with their quarterback. Damn it. He was yeah. really good. He was. <laughs> I, I didn't realize he was the, he was that oh, good. What, what did he wind up with? 94. Wow. He actually uh, he gained, I believe it was 105. Right. But when you total in the loss, he had 94. I knew he was big and strong. I didn't realize he was quite as nimble on the open field as he Man, was. Man, he, he was making guys miss all game, yeah, wasn't he? I mean, he, sure was. I mean, I think he made Tremaine Evans miss one. So, yes, Will is 4-2. and two. Chris and I are tied at 3-3. Three and three. I'm now making a comeback, and I'm going to try and do it a little bit more this week in the overrunners. The first one we're going to do for this week is Josh Jackson interceptions. He's had three in the last two games. So I'm going to set this at, at a half. So it's either, <laughs> is Josh Jackson going to throw an interception or not? Will oh, go well, ahead. you got to give me some data here. How many interceptions does Boston College have this year? Well, they've got one player who has five interceptions. Dang. And, like I mentioned, they're they're one of the best pass defenses in the country. They're 33rd in the S&P Plus for, for pass defense, and I think they're fifth in big plays. They don't give up any big plays in the secondary. I'm going to go the under. I'm going to go against trends and go the under. I don't think he throws a pick. Chris. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, when you consider that Justin Fuente's uh, quarterbacks throughout his entire coaching career average well under one interception per game, then I think the, the smart pick is to go is to go under. Now, don't betray me here, Henry Murphy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that, granted, that pass was a little high. Yeah. But, you know, if it hits you in the hands, you're supposed to catch it. I'm actually going to go the under as well. I, and I, I, just because I agree with your point, Chris. Justin Fuente quarterbacks don't throw a ton of picks. Mm-hmm. So you're, and, go, you're going under? Yes, I'm going to go under on that. I just don't think that, just, that Josh Jackson's going to throw an interception in three straight games. I just don't see it happening. Uh, the next one, I want to go Boston College touchdowns because if you look at when they play Power 5 teams and Notre Dame, they're averaging 12.3 points per game. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not like they're, they're putting up a ton of points in these games and they're 0-3 in those games. So I'm going to set the over-under at 1.5 for Boston College touchdowns. Will, go ahead. Under. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, doesn't need a big explanation other than the fact that their offense has been very bad the last three to four years. They haven't been able to score on decent competition this year. They didn't score on Virginia Tech at all last year. They've got a freshman quarterback. Just I, I don't give them much of they, a chance. They might get a break points. and score one, but not yeah, more than one. I, I don't see two, two. Unless Virginia Tech just plays – it would take a bad game by Virginia Tech. Man, this is a boring over-under section because I'm going to agree with you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, so, I, I just, so I'll be ahead I'm not really week. sure I see them. I, mean, I guess maybe I need to set some better over-unders here, don't I? Uh, all right, we'll go ahead and move on to the score predictions. Will, go ahead and give me your score prediction, which if you haven't read already, go ahead and read the game preview. We have our score predictions in there as well with explanations and a ton of statistics provided by Chris Coleman, but we'll go ahead and give us your prediction. I believe I predicted 34-6 to six Hokies, and sometimes I make predictions and, and I go, why are you picking that? Sometimes <laughs> sometimes I pick them and I'm like, nah, Tech's going to lose worse than that, or, or they're going to win by more than that. Uh, are you feeling uh, the same way with this one? I, I'm, I'm feeling like, why did I pick that? Tech will probably win by more than that, but that's what I put in print, so that's what I'll stick with. Okay. I actually put 27-10 to 10 Virginia Tech which still covers the spread. Barely, because the spreads at, what, 16 and a half? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do think there's a trend of Virginia Tech's slow starts. Yeah. I mean, there is. And even going back, even Fuente's biggest win when he was at Memphis, Ole Miss got up 14 nothing in that game. I don't think Memphis scored until the second quarter. And, oh, by the way, let, let me interrupt and say that. I watched that game, and, uh, you know, the whole idea that Fuente likes to get the ball to his players in space, which means a lot of bubble screens and that kind of thing, he was doing that against uh, – Ole Miss, even mm-hmm. though Ole Miss had better team speed. And I remember the announcer going, why does Memphis continue to throw the ball out to the side? <laughs> yeah. So these are, these are 
you know, the slow starts and and spreading the field laterally right. as hallmarks of how he coaches. Right, and it's that's so that's a legitimate concern. Boston College has outscored their opponents twenty to nineteen in the first quarter this year. It takes their defense has given up a lot of points and yards in the second half, but that's I think that's because they mentally check out because at that point in the game they just realize that their offense isn't going to be able to. Lefty's not going to help you. We've all yet. played on that football team where the offense can't score. Uh, I played yeah, on a couple yeah, of those. Exactly. Um, yeah, I played on some where it was equally bad on both sides of the line of scrimmage. But yeah, but uh, I, I, I played on a football team where we lost two to nothing one time. Oh my god! We, we snapped the ball over the punter's head in the final. That's score how you lost. Nothing. Yes. Oh man! I say we. That's it wasn't really me. Bad. It was not me. I was not the longest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but at any rate, uh, you know, I do think this will be a somewhat slow start for Virginia Tech, and they will win this game comfortably, but it's going to be gradual over the course of four quarters. I'm going to agree. I'm going to go 31 to 10. Um, I, I do think the Tech will probably maybe score three or seven in the first, and not look good on the other drives that they have in that quarter. And then I think you'll see in the second, third, and fourth quarter. They kind of pull away with this one. What I am watching to see is if Joey Sly continues to miss field goals. I have him making one in my prediction, but Virginia Tech really needs Joey Sly to get it together because he's been kind of inconsistent here. What is he hitting, fifty plus the 57% of mm-hmm. his field goals? So Virginia Tech's definitely going to need that to change. What I will be looking for is uh, more playmaking. Uh, Virginia Tech needs to find out who their playmakers are. We know Cam's a playmaker. Guys like Sean Savoy or yeah, yeah. you know, uh, you James go back, Clark might be healthy for this game. He hasn't played in the last two games. You go back to that BC game last year, and I think what cracked it open was that that crazy double coverage catch in the back of the end zone by Isaiah Ford. Um, you know, and then going back to the Clemson game and just the lack of playmaking ability. I right. think I think Tech needs to find some playmakers. So I'll be looking for that. There's only so much that. X's and O's can get you. It's only going to take you so far. At some point, you have to go, have guys that can go up and make plays. You have to have an Isaiah Ford that can go up over two guys and make a Man. play. I mean, you have to have a slot receiver who can outrun a defensive end. I mean, Virginia Tech did not have that last week. I mean, yeah. those Clemson defensive ends were outrunning Virginia Tech's slot receivers. It's it's incredible, the athletic talent. So, so there's only only so much you can do. Uh, with X's and O's, and you got to have some guys who can make some plays, and and you know we'll, we'll see if as the season goes along, if some of those young wide receivers and backs, uh, you know, as they adjust to the speed of the game more, start becoming uh, playmakers more often. Definitely. Well, that's all the time we got for today, folks. It was a a very good podcast, I believe. Uh, remember, Virginia Tech does play Boston College on ESPN two seven fifteen at BC. So if you want to watch the game, that's how you can watch it. Um, we will have full coverage of the rest of the week and also we'll have a game right up after the game we will not be in attendance for the bc game and then virginia tech obviously has the bye week next week Uh, but that's all the time we have for today folks for ricky the blue will stewart and chris coleman see you next time